Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. As I said, the, uh, these talks are inspired by this um, issue of inquiring mind. And the, uh, the articles about power, uh, there are two articles here, one by Arnie Kotler, an old friend um, who started Parallax Press, um, talking about, actually both articles talk about the relationship um, that the, uh, the writer had with uh, their teachers. The other article is by Stephen Mitchell, and uh, Arnie talks about his relationship with uh, Baker Roshi and Thich Nhat Hanh and, um, and uh, Suzuki Roshi and, and issues of power that would come up uh, that were challenging and that uh, because he and Stephen Mitchell and his relationship with Sun Sanim, um, they're both very wise people. They have used them as part of practice. Um, but I just want to say that um, although we won't get really, um, we won't focus so much about power in terms of teacher-student relationship, uh, that it's certainly something that um, is important to explore and perhaps at some other time we can go in more depth in that. But I want to talk in general about power. Now, this is obviously a pretty huge topic, so I, I, don't, um, I don't expect that we'll do more than just start to open up some, uh, some themes or issues that perhaps you can continue to explore in your own, how power presents itself in your life different things that you are uh, learning, growing, grappling with, and uh, hopefully you can incorporate it into your practice. Power. We, at least most of us, we want it to some extent, don't we? We want to have power over our lives, let alone anybody else's life that we would like to have power over or power with, in relationship with. Um, whether you're a two-year-old, you know about, if you've been around kids, and the two-year-old is just starting to get into their power, you know, the, or feeling that they should have their power, and they finally learn no, and me, and... Uh, uh, start to individuate just a little bit. They want to have control over their lives. When they're four, uh, I had my, my hardest time in my, uh, in my parenting of my son, Adam, who's now 20, uh, when, he was, when he was four years old, and he was convinced that all of his friends, all of his four-year-old friends, made the rules in their family. You know? <laughs> He was absolutely convinced. It wasn't like, you know, well, it was, that's not fair, you know. 
Miles gets to make his rules, and so and so gets, and we actually had to go with him to speak to the different parents and say, uh, who, who makes the rules in your family? It, it, that was, it was one of the more challenging, uh, periods. He, as, as, um, and he wasn't alone. It was like they were all wired up for this. Because at five, he magically turned into this, you know, beautiful being that just was so cooperative. But uh, four was, I had my doubts for a while. <laughs> four and 11 also. And that's another time when teens or just, uh, you're starting to come into saying, I want some control over my life. And it doesn't stop at those ages, does it? It keeps on going. Power isn't a good thing or a bad thing. It just is. And we all know both kinds of manifestations of power. There's power without wisdom. We're all too familiar with that. When there's an, an unalignment and a, a feeling that one has to, um, well, coming out of insecurity or lack of wisdom, there's a, a sense that one needs to control or is fearful or that when there's imbalances in, in power in relationships, we all know how difficult that can be, whether it's a primary relationship or a work relationship or family dynamics or, or on a national scale when there's imbalances. So... It's crucial whether the power is coupled with wisdom, isn't it? When there is wisdom and there's power, then the energies are aligned and the creative force is activated in a quite extraordinarily beautiful way. Um, I think before I go on, I wanted to ask you for a moment, think of the word power for you. What is power? What does that mean to you? How would you define power? Okay, we can just take a few responses. What is, what's the word power to you? Anyone? Oh, just came to you. Raise your hand. Stand up, why don't you? Or at least sit there. Right, right there. And put it right next to your lips. Well, when I think of power, I think of power and control going together. Okay. So, control. Very common connection. Liam. The first thing that came for me was like the physics definition. The energy to make things happen, to make work happen. Okay, the energy to make things happen. Okay, great. Real close. Uh, I think of, um, when I think of it, uh, partly because of my work, I think of two different kinds of power. Power uh, over, so you have control over other people, or then, uh, but there can also be another kind of power, power with, or you know, shared collective power. And that distinction is important, I think. Okay, excellent. That's the next point in my talk, so thank you very much. 
That's great. There's power over and there's power with. A couple of more. Yeah. Uh, what came to my mind was uh, knowledge is power, and, and uh, no- knowledge is power, and wisdom is power. That, um, that sort of knowing the truth about things gives you uh, lots of personal power. Okay, personal power that goes along with wisdom and knowledge. Great, thanks. Yeah. So, oh, the one in the in the back before we go. Up. Here, here, why don't you uh, just wait because it's being recorded and then everybody can hear. Raise your hand. I was feeling allied with your son, um, being the one to make the decisions. And also that without wisdom, it's not worth much. Without wisdom, it's not worth much. Thank you. Okay. And uh, one last one right over here, Ed. But there's there's more from physics. Um, when you, um, I would think you feel powerful when uh, things were going the way you wanted them to go, and you were pushing in that direction. And if you if you're not pushing in that direction, that's luck. That's but, what? That's luck. Uh-huh. But but it's powerful if you're the agent. And if you're pushing in that direction and things are going the opposite way. That's powerlessness. Uh-huh. So to make things happen, it's kind of like what you were you were saying, Liam, to, to manifest and to to help it along. Yeah, it, it, aligning your your agency with with the dy- dynamic that you're in in your environment, I would say. Okay, great, thank you. Okay, we can just uh, turn it off. Actually, hold on to it because I'm going to just ask something else. So I, I think uh, very much, as has been said, when I, when I thought of the word power, and I, I'm sorry, I, I meant to look it up in the dictionary, but I, I think of it in terms of the ability to manifest what your consciousness um, wants to create. Uh, and you know, there's no one right answer for all of these. I think they're pretty much along the same lines. Now, I'd like to ask you, who do you think of as powerful just for a moment, there might be lots of different answers. And as was said, there's power over, there's power with. Just think of powerful people who come to mind. Get one person. Okay? Anyone got? Particularly if you haven't spoken yet. Okay? They want you. Well, I think of uh, President Bush. I think um, he has the power to place himself and everyone around him above the law. And that's the kind of power I don't like. And I wish that people had more power. Okay. So somebody who has power to make things happen even when uh, others don't want it. Um, yeah, still even though it's it's uh, it's not a, a wise use of power. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Others. Yes. Right. Right. Right over here. Uh, I think of the Dalai of the Dalai Lama, uh, who gives us the power to have wisdom, 
to do the right thing in the world. Uh, I think he's a wonderful example of a very positive power. And what what is powerful about him? I completely agree, but what, what, what is it? That's... Well, I think that when you're in his presence, you know that he is there for you. Uh, he seems very selfless in his own being, mm-hmm. but that he wants us to be good people and uh, especially his great interest in peace in the world. So I think that how he exemplifies his life is how we can be similar uh, to what he sets as a, as a human being. Mm-hmm. So he can be an inspiring example in that way. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And uh, Louise? Well, I have to be honest that I thought myself when you said it. And and not in um I don't know, probably not in the way you think, but in the way of my actions have a lot of potency. So by being unskillful, I can really hurt somebody. Um, by being skillful, I can really inspire somebody. And um, I think I also was sort of born with the courage gene, so I know how to take care of myself. And uh, so people have commented that I seem to, you know, possess a certain amount of personal power. Mm-hmm. But I also know it can easily, you know, without skillful behavior, it can be very negative. Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you. Anybody else that uh, that hasn't been, anyone who's come to mind that hasn't been said, including oneself? Yes. Really there, I mean, what we're, Close talking, to your mouth. what we're talking about is is behavioral power, how human power. Mm-hmm. And it would seem that there are basically two types. One is the power to compel. Two. Compel, compel, and that would be somebody like the president or uh, Justice Kennedy. Really, mm-hmm. seems to be most mm-hmm. clearly a, a person who has real concrete power. And then there would be power to influence uh-huh. by virtue of uh, in various ways, uh, by emulation or by um, uh, uh, persuasion. Mm-hmm. Anybody come to mind? The Dalai Lama. His names that I. I uh-huh. But okay. that per- would be a perfect example. Okay. So power to compel or the power to influence and, and persuade. Okay. Great. One one last one. Um, my two people fell into that category. I thought of like Oprah Winfrey and Bono and Oprah's angel network and how many people she- Oprah's angel network and how many people she has really um, called to action and then Bono with all the um, activism and work that he does and he has inspired so many people to take action as well. So those are two individuals who kind of exemplify what he was mentioning. Mm-hmm. Great, thank you. Oprah was the person that came to my mind as the, you know, exemplifying real power. Because she, I mean, she just says, hey, I like this book. Instantly, bestseller. Hey, I like this guy. Instantly, they, he influences the, the consciousness of the culture. That's huge power. And fortunately, she's got a fair amount of wisdom as well. Okay, I want to um, I want to move on and share a little bit actually from uh, from this book. 
that I really like. It's called Real Power. Um, and it's Business Lessons from the Tao Te Ching. It's uh, co-authored by Stephen Mitchell, who's done a number of translations of Tao Te Ching, and James Autry, a successful business person. And uh, so it, it uses Stephen's translation of the Tao around issues of power. And when we're talking about power over and, and power with, I'll be reading a few different passages from this. <clears throat> he who has power over others can't empower himself. He who clings to his work will create nothing that endures. If you want to accord with the Tao, just do your job, then let go. And another about power. <clears throat> the master does his job and then stops. He understands that the universe is forever out of control and that trying to dominate events goes against the current of the Tao. <clears throat> there are these different archetypes. There's the Darth Vader archetype of power and the, the Gandhi archetype of power. When you think of Gandhi, uh, you know, when, uh, when India's independence was, uh, was given and then there were these splits from um, in East and West Pakistan. East Pakistan now being Bangladesh. And on, I think it was West Pakistan, they sent 50,000 Gurkha troops to quell the, the, the violence. And um, the East uh, Gandhi went and fasted. And he had a whole lot more power and effect than all of those troops. Just by virtue of his alignment with the truth and the, the sheer power of his spirit. This frail little guy who brought the English, the British Empire to its knees. Isn't that amazing? What power, how power is not about might or strength. There's a different kind of force that one can be aligned with that can touch everybody um, who's in its sphere. What is power anyway? When you think about it, where does it come from? Whose power is it? When I think of power as the ability to harness energy, whose energy is it? Who does it belong to? I think of, uh, as I was putting this together, thought of a few different examples. You know, electricity has a lot of power, electric power. Is the, elect is the power the wire? No. The wire is essential. It conducts, it harnesses that energy. But whose electricity is it? Besides PG&E's or Enron's or whatever, you know, they think they own it. But where does that come from? It doesn't belong to anybody. It's just energy. Or when you think of focusing, harnessing um, light into a laser, who does that belong to? 
doesn't belong to anybody. It's just a harnessing, a gathering, a focusing that can penetrate. And in the same way, people can harness energy and experience power. In meditation practice, for instance, power can be developed starting with intention. There's a power to aligning yourself with a certain vision, a decision to be more mindful or be uh, develop loving kindness. And you know that feeling that you get when you decide to make something happen? That is a moment of real power. The power of intention. And all of karma is based on intention. So it starts right there in the consciousness that focuses and gets clear. I want to make this happen. That is so um, committed that doubt doesn't enter into, uh, into things to, uh, to disempower that intention. And then, of course, along with intention, there's discipline. We all know how powerful we can feel when we commit to and stay with whatever program whether it's running or sitting or working out or our eating habits or whatever, there's a real power in being able to stay with our intention. And discipline develops power. And as we all know, when we're not disciplined, we feel somewhat disempowered or uh, kind of running amok. And to center ourselves through discipline and intention, then in the meditation practice, we can develop power through concentration. Just like with a laser concentrating light or electricity being concentrated through a wire, concentration develops power. If you've ever had an opportunity to sit a longer retreat and you keep on bringing yourself back and develop a groove of one-pointedness, there is a tremendous power that comes from that focus and actually can lead to all kinds of powers. If you read in the Vasudhimaga, this um, commentary on the teachings, I, I've mentioned this before, it's been a while, but the first time I read it, I, I, was, on a, I was on a long retreat, on a three-month retreat, and I was getting pretty concentrated. And it was the one thing that I read. Somebody actually put, put the book out for me and said, check out this, this uh, piece on concentration. Okay. I opened it up and I was thinking, hey, you know, I'm getting pretty concentrated here. It's pretty cool. I opened it up. Well, the meditator gets concentrated, goes through the absorption states and does this, this, and this, and this, and then can go through walls. You know? <laughs> Then the meditator does this, this, and this, and this, and can read past lives. You know, meditator goes this, this, and this, and can manifest in uh, in in different places at the same time. You know, I close the book. I said, "Okay, I have a little ways to go." Okay, but it really started opening my mind to the possibilities. And if you've seen people. And I've met people, and, I, and you can taste it for yourself, what happens when the 
what is the line that, uh, that Jesus says? If thine eye be single, uh, what what is it? Where does it go next? What what's that? Thy whole body will be filled with light, and one can move mountains. Literally, I haven't seen it myself, but one can do all kinds of extraordinary things through focusing and concentrating. And there are the, all these powers that come. But the point is, the energy doesn't belong to anybody. And that's the important piece that the wisdom can support. We talk about personal power, and it's a, it's a, very, uh, it's a very evocative phrase. Wow, that person has a, a lot of personal power. And we know what that means. But the paradox, I mentioned this uh, last month, the paradox is that personal power, because somebody has personal power when they don't take their power personally. When they realize it's really an impersonal power. If you are going around and saying, I've got a lot of personal power. It kind of takes away from the power, doesn't it? You know, you go around with, with a swagger, you know. Yeah, I'm powerful. Well, it seems like it would come out of an insecure mind. But the person who really has power doesn't have to broadcast it. They just embody it and they know that it's not theirs. And so humility seems to be a very key piece in this wisdom power where you see that it doesn't belong to you, you don't take ownership of it, and yet you can use it, you can harness it. Wei Wu Wei, the, the uh, great, um, um, he was British, uh, Dharma uh, genius, has all these kinds of lines. He says, true humility, true humility is the absence of anyone to be proud. That's real humility. It's not like, yes, I'm humble. Uh, I'm a humble person. Do you, do you see how humble I am? You know, Or, yes, I'm, very, I'm a very humble person, but if they're taking a stance on being humble, it's like that, uh, that line by Trunk Rinpoche, I love, timidity is just another ego trip. But true humility, where you don't take ownership of the power, and yet you can use it wisely, this is real power. Here's, uh, again, from Stephen Mitchell's translation. All streams flow to the sea because it is lower than they are. Humility gives it its power. If you want to govern the people... You must place yourself below them. If you want to lead the people, you must learn how to follow them. This is real power. Nice to find leaders like that. When a country, again on a national level, when a country obtains great power, it becomes like the sea. All streams run downward into it. The more powerful it grows, the greater the need for humility. Humility means trusting the Tao, trusting the way, thus never needing to be defensive. A great nation is like a great person. 
When they make a mistake, they realize it. Having realized it, they admit it. Having admitted it, they correct it. So, personal power requires this humility that comes from not taking ownership of this energy that you can harness. Not being identified with that power, then you're not attached in the same way. Because who is, whose is it to lose? It's just energy. And there's in that non-attachment an equanimity that comes from realizing that it can't be taken away from you. And with that equanimity comes a fearlessness. There's a, a story that uh, used to be told on retreats. It's been so long probably that most of you haven't heard about it. Where uh, this, um, this fierce um, samurai warrior was scourging the countryside and wherever he went in his path there would be destruction and people would, would bow down to him and, um, or flee. He goes throughout the countryside and he comes to this village and one of his, um, his scouts says, Sir, everybody has fled this village in fear of you felt good about that, except for one person. Who is that? The abbot of the monastery. And the samurai goes marching up to the monastery, brandishing his sword, and he says, Do you know who I am? I'm someone who can take this sword and run it through you without batting an eye. The abbot very serenely hears the, the warrior's words and says, And I, sir, am someone who can be run through without batting an eye. And with that, the samurai bows and leaves. That fearlessness is real power. That doesn't mean that one has to be so tough that one doesn't get afraid, but one sees on a bigger level where the power really is because there's such an alignment with the truth. Again from Stephen Mitchell. The Master lets all things come and go effortlessly, without desire, she never expects results. Thus, she is never disappointed. She is never disappointed. Thus, her spirit never grows old. All things come and go without the desire, without the, the fixed outcome that needs to happen. And this is from uh, Autry. Once you even use the word success or failure, once you think of yourself as having succeeded or having failed, you're in danger. Success and failure are only what you think you've done. They don't exist except in the abstract. There are two groups of people who end up unhappy. The first group is made up of people who set personal goals regarding position, power, and money and don't attain those goals. The second group is made up of those who set personal goals regarding position, power, and money and do attain those goals. 
The first group asks, where is it? And the second group asks, is this it? The people in the first group are preoccupied with what they don't have and think themselves failures for not having those things. Those in the second group are always trying to convince themselves that they're successful because they've discovered that the amount of money and power that define success keeps ratcheting upward. What the groups have in common is that they want more of whatever it is they don't have. So true power is not attached to the results, but knows that one is connected to the heart as best one can. A couple of other things, and then I want to open it up. Um, There is a flexibility in real power that one is not fighting the way things are. And there's a patience that can allow the unfolding as it does on its own. From the Tao. Um, Do you have the patience to wait till your mud settles and the water is clear? Can you remain unmoving till the right action arises by itself? The master doesn't seek fulfillment. Not seeking, not expecting. She is present and can welcome all things. So, in that not grasping, you can sense what is needed next. And you're more in harmony with the way things are. Someone who I think of as having real power. Somebody who is a true leader are is someone who empowers others. There's a generosity of spirit. And again, this comes because one doesn't think one owns the power, but one uses it and sees and awakens the power in others. That's a truly powerful person, like Oprah or Bono, Bono, you know, that you can see it in others and believe in them. And it's so amazing how we can bring out the best in others. We can make a difference simply by believing in them. This is what I think is a, um, for me, one of the one of the the most wonderful things about being in the Dharma teacher seat. That if I just look for the Buddha in somebody, and they're in a very open state, and they come in on, from it on a retreat and in an interview and they're kind of struggling perhaps in themselves or maybe not. It's so easy to see it from the, this vantage point. And as you keep on seeing it, it just awakens that and then the person can experience for themselves. Is there's a generosity of spirit that comes with a truly powerful person. The master has no possessions. The more... He does for others, the happier he is. The more he gives to others, the wealthier he is. I I want to share with you something that, uh, just to show that you never know. You never know the effect you have on somebody. I got recently um, something from a student of mine, not a Dharma student, but somebody who was in my sixth grade class in 1974, and uh, and we met. I, did I mention this uh, recently here? In the, I was going back to New York, and um, 
because uh, I was going to be traveling there. And just fortuitously, a month before, I get this Google, uh, this email saying, are you the Mr. Barris that was my sixth grade teacher in 1974? And she went on to say how meaningful that year was. And this is somebody who was, she was just this beautiful uh, young woman, very pretty, but, um, and very, uh, got a lot of conflict, had a lot of conflict inside, and came from, as I didn't know it then, a really abusive um, situation at home. And she had a hard goal. So she showed me what I had written in her autograph book. And then she wrote her a little bit of a response, and I want to read a little bit of her response. Dear Nana, this is 1974, before I got into the drama, actually. And I share this just, just because you never know. And it was just anyone in my position could see who she was. I'm really happy to have spent this year together with you. So many times you've made me feel happy and put a smile on my face when I was feeling low. You're a very pretty girl, that I'm sure you know. But what I hope you realize is your inner beauty, which is much more important. You've got a heart of gold and always want to see people happy. The sooner you become aware of the real you, like I have, the sooner you'll be able to appreciate yourself as I do, and the easier it will be for you to really enjoy life all the time. Thanks for a great year. Good luck and keep smiling. Love, Mr. Barris. She calls me still, so we met when I went out to New York, right? And she said, and she calls me Mr. Barris. She introduced me to her two, one 20-year-old and 70-year-old. They call me James, but she calls me Mr. Barris because, you know, when you're, say, you're a teacher. And she said, just a little, um, I'll just read a little piece. I thought I was okay. Um, hmm. At a time when I felt I was at an all-time low, you were there. I thought I was okay. Believed the harsh co comments of this terrible person I was labeled to be from the person I was supposed to trust in life, my role model, my mother. I was told that I was like my father, and they had split up, and the apple didn't fall far from the tree. I thought that was a good thing. and was kind of confused because that it was presented to me in a negative way. Though it took... Oh. So thank you for making me smile. Most of all for taking the time to look inside, for helping me to recognize and send me off on a journey to recognize that inner beauty. Though it took some time and, of course, life experiences, the strength you gave me in believing that there must be more to this person and this life around me. I knew there must be more to this theory of life. I'll just on. When I got home, I examined my autograph book and had the greatest insight. It was your words, your very words. Ah, the power of the pen. That was it. Every time I showed saw or showed my autograph book to anyone, I showed it with pride. Every time I looked at your page, I felt happy and always wished you well in my thoughts wherever you were. It was those very words that helped make me aware of the real me. Not only did I begin to like myself, 
found that I love and res- but found that I love and respect myself. Does that make me sound fully my, full of myself? Well, you know, even that's okay because the greatest insight of all is I can actually own these emotions. There's nothing greater. And she she's gone through so much, but she is this really happy person. It's amazing. Her sister is not a happy person, and her mom is still very um, kind of disturbed. But somehow. She got who she was by you believing in the people that you see by their own beauty. That is real power. And we can all do it. Every one of us is nothing unique to, to me. We're all in a position of doing that. First, you have to start by seeing your own beauty. Or not have to start, but that's, that goes hand in hand. Which is not an easy thing, but a worthwhile endeavor. And then you start seeing it all around. And that's the most, the greatest gift of power that we can have. Nobody owns our beauty. Nobody owns our unconditional love. Nobody owns our awareness. It's here, it's in all of us. And we're here to bring it out in each other. So I'd like you to um, just have a couple of reflections and then we can maybe have some some time for questions. Just take a close your eyes for a moment. And what issues do you have around power? Whether it's relationships or work or family or your place in the world, the more you can tune into it, the more you can shift towards greater and greater personal power. So what are your issues? What would support you in developing more personal power or impersonal power? Just listen inside because there's a wisdom in there that knows. What do you need to do to develop your full potential? What will support that in a realistic way? How can you use your practice with regard to this? How can you make this part of your practice to embody your full potential while not being attached, but just seeing the possibilities and nourishing them? And then finally, how can you empower others? Who are, who's in your life that you can awaken to their goodness? And feel the, the joy of that.
So we have some some time for comments, questions, or anything that, that comes up. Yeah, Larry. Um, can you hear me? Yeah. Uh, you were mentioning about Gandhi having power, and um, and I think you know he's an example of the light side of power. And obviously, you could take someone like Hitler or whatever and see that as the dark side. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that interests me is the subtle seduction of power and how that seems to kind of, it's almost like um, there's some kind of demiurge or something in the psyche that can seduce people, like the daughters of Mara that are there. And it's interesting in the last 30, 40 years how these various teachers and gurus have come over and seem very pure and then get corrupted by the other two things money and sex, and um, and yet these people are supposedly, many of them, enlightened and have a high degree of enlightenment, and yet are still so vulnerable. Yeah. And um, how how is it that they get seduced? And what what is, um, I mean, for me, it's not to have somebody at the top, it's to have a circle of peers like they do at Spirit Rock mm-hmm. that can prevent that. Um, but just the the power of that yeah. to to corrupt and seduce, it, and and you're making a really good point. I, I, there's that saying: even a 93 year old saint is an in, a saying in India. Even a 93 year old saint isn't safe. One thought away from taking sense of self and taking ownership, and the way it, the way the system is is set up, desire just feeds itself, and power, if it's not aligned with wisdom and with truth, you know, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Or you know, look at Lord of the Rings, or every every great archetypal. Um, story around power, how we get seduced by it. And that's where real humility and non-identification is so key. And I, it, and I think the Sangha. Too, what's that? And Sangha. You need, peers. that's one of the best things going on at Spirit Rock. We keep each other awake. And if you're all on your own, it's very, very dangerous. You need feedback. That's why if you're in a position that is power over others, at least in the way the game is set up, invite feedback. Ask for it. You need it. Because it feels so much better to be part of a team, to be a leader that's bringing out the best in everyone. Invisibility is another one that they, they talk about in the Real Power book. That it feels so much better than to dominate. So you're missing out on, on the real goodies. And it's very seductive. Thank you. Please. Yeah, that right there was really helping me with this. Um, I like the Spider-Man koan or 
statement. I know it from Spider-Man. I know it comes from other places. But with great power comes great responsibility. And that can seem so burdensome. But the misuse of power, especially in spiritual positions, has really been an issue for me in a lot of my life. And I was just seeing, as we were talking about power, that the joy of generosity really is an antidote to that. That, and I was thinking about, I just this weekend had a chance to talk to a friend about my love of teaching. And I'm not a teacher right now. And I'm, you know, at the point of finishing my master's going, will I ever know enough to teach again? But I was talking to him about my joy of getting out of the way of the intelligence of my students and just finding a way of making myself a channel for them to, and it's that generosity. It's like when I'm there in that joy, it's not like I don't have to worry about it. I have to be responsible, but it gives me another path from the attachment of I'm powerful and I know so much, but just get out of the way. Yeah. And when you get out of the way, then you actually feel, you become a conduit right. for all of that power. As soon as you say, yeah, doesn't this feel good? You contract and that power can't flow through you. It's a, it's a false kind of power. But when you get out of the way, you become so much more powerful because, or because all of that energy is flowing through you. And it feels really good when it's flowing through. When it's and not, oh, look at me, but, oh, wow, this feels really good. It actually feels like being ethical is very joyful. It just becomes this practice of joy yeah. in a way I hadn't seen before. The bliss of blamelessness. Um, with the uh, vision that comes to me this, as we're talking about this is um, uh, clearing out the murkiness uh, around us. You know, we talk about this, you know, this conduit coming down and being, getting out of the way and being right-sized. And, um, but, and we can be in the power and feel this, you know, being of service. Uh, but then all of a sudden we get uncomfortable or fearful and it's this stuff that's um, our stuff and it you know refracts the light and all of a sudden you know we don't feel power and it's our job to sit there like be curious okay what what's refracting the light here and then sit with that and remove it and then the light can you know the the murkiness gets clearer and clearer and then we can reflect more clearly that conduit and that's sort of that vision that kind of thought. yeah beautiful and w one way you can you can keep on checking in is if there's contraction or not if there's contraction chances are fear is operating even if you're somebody a, a powerful person uh, if there's fear operating because you're afraid of losing your power you, know, you can see the contraction it's or if there's if there's an openness and an ease that just lets it keep on moving through. And for that openness, it's really a, uh, there's a surrender that's involved. It's a surrender of my will to thy will, and also a kind of um, trust in the, in the unfolding. 
Because in that trust, then you can kind of hear what needs to happen next instead of imposing your will on what you think should happen next. So it's all, it's all real, it's so juicy and it's so crucial for all of us to fully embody our power with wisdom. That's why this Dharma stuff is so important. Yeah, we can have personal power, but if it's not coupled with wisdom, everybody loses. Whereas if there's true wisdom where you don't take it personally, but you let your gifts express in the most beautiful way possible, everybody wins. So, the choice is up to each of us. Okay, we have to stop here. So, thank you. And I, I, I must say, when I, when I read Nana's letter, I said, well, should I share it or not? It might seem a little bit much, but I just, uh, it was, she, she was such a pure and she's such, she's so, uh, so beautiful still now inside. Uh, I just wanted to bring her here with, with me, so I hope that was okay. Uh, all right, let's feel your heart center and feel all the goodness inside. Feel the grace to have that goodness of heart. Without taking ownership of it and yet delighting in it, that you've been given that amazing grace. And feel the benevolence of life all around you. And breathe in that benevolence right through your heart center. Let it touch and awaken your whole being. And as you breathe out, let it radiate out and share that benevolence with everyone else. And then sending some kind thoughts to yourself. May I realize my full potential, embody my full personal power. May I Share my love well. May I awaken the goodness and the wisdom and the kindness in others. May I awaken to my true nature. And then to send these thoughts out, including everyone here and all beings everywhere, as I want to be free of fear, may all be free of fear. May all embody their true power coupled with wisdom. May all share their love well. May all awaken to their true nature. And may our coming here together be of benefit to all beings everywhere. May all beings everywhere be happy.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.